Well, I'm going to share this message called Misconceptions, and I want to remind you that uh, studies show that about 20% of those who attend church do not understand why we do what we just did this morning. As we worship the Lord together, people, 20% of people in churches do not understand why we do something like that. We've been doing this series called True Worship, and uh, August is a good month. We get five, five Sundays in August. And that, it's always, as a pastor, that's always a special month. Um, you know, some months go by really fast, and then you get these five Sunday months, and it's a different type of planning, and you, you get to really um, enjoy that month at a little different level. And so this is one of those months, and so uh, I'm looking forward already to next week and sharing the final message in this series. But this particular message, um, I, I, I just I did something that I hadn't done before. I, I thought, how many times does the Bible actually mention worship? Over 250 times, the Bible mentions worship. Now, I, I, when I think about something like that, I think about, well, what was, what, what's the first mention of the word worship? And I found that one very interesting, and I was surprised. I wasn't surprised that the first use of the word worship was in Genesis because so much happens in Genesis. But I was surprised that it happened, it was used by Abraham. And Abraham... In, in just a little bit of review here, was a guy that when he was 70 years old, God said, Abraham, I want you to leave home. I'm going to send you somewhere, and I'll tell you when you get there, but for now, I'm just telling you to go. And so at 70, okay, at seven, I mean, today in our thinking, when we're at 70, we're like, you know, my mom said, I'm never moving again. They're going to have to drag me out of this house, you know, in a proverbial box. I'm done moving. That's our attitude, right? God said, I want you to leave. So, so he left and he, he, he just took off and God said, I'll show you where you're going to be. And um, five years later, and five years, five years is a long time. I, you know, I, when you're young, five years is like an eternity, Okay. Do you remember when you were a kid? Do you remember how long summer vacation lasted when you were a child? And now it's like three days and summer is over, right? It just, it's a totally different perspective. But, but I would say even in my life, five years is a, is a relatively long period of time. Five years in Abraham's life goes by and God makes some incredible promises to Abraham. He said, you're gonna be the father of uh, an, a great nation, in fact, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham is probably wondering, how is this possible? Because my wife is barren. And God says, oh, yes, by the way, your barren wife, Sarah, will give birth to a child, a son, who will be your heir. Okay? Now, that means that child's going to have to outlive you. Because that child can't be an heir if you live longer than that child. So God makes this incredible promise. The Bible says that he believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. So let's move forward in Abraham's life. When, when his wife Sarah was 80 and he was 90, 
okay? This is 15 years after the promise that was made. God reaffirms the promise. God didn't bring the promise about. He reaffirms it, okay? I don't know about you, but I would have gotten a little impatient with God at that point. God, do you not realize the the sheer math that's going on here? God, I'm 90. In fact, Scripture tells us that people thought this was funny. When God did bring about the promise, people laughed. It was, it, it, was, it was something to be talked about, okay? It was the talk of the town, as it were. So what happens is that nine years, nine more years goes by. Sarah is 89. Abraham is 99. And God once again reaffirms his promise and says... A year from now, when Sarah is 90, Abraham is 100, you will have a baby boy. Come on. I I mean, Sarah, she laughed. Do you realize what she said? She said, my master, speaking of her husband, my master is all but dead. Interpret that any way you wish, okay? But that's what she said. He's, He's all but dead, And yet Abraham believed. And so that child comes. How how much would you have loved that child? Put yourself in their position. I remember that when when, when our youngest came into our lives, we did not expect it. We were 40 years old. It was completely unexpected. And I remember coming home from work at night, and all I wanted to do was sit on the couch and hold that child because I knew this was the last one. And I never thought that when, when Rebecca was born, I never thought that. Never, we never, you know, we didn't really think of in those terms. But at 40, when I'm, I'm going to be 58 when he graduates from high school, which I thought was really old, and I have now found out it's not old at all, okay? But, but I, I mean, it was, I, I, it changed me every day. I wanted to hold that child because it's the last kid that we're going to have. And so think of Abraham and Sarah, how they cherished that child because of that promise, which had been 30 years in the making. Okay. And then God puts Abraham's faith to the test. Let's read about it in Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. So we're talking years here. We're not talking a few weeks. Uh, more than likely, Isaac was already a young man at this time. He said to, to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son. Notice the wording here. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's like God is reminding him of how special this son really is. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there. Just to clear this all up so there's no confusion, he adds, as a burnt offering. There's no confusion on what God means. God means you are going to kill the promise. 
on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Would you have wanted to sleep in that day? Would you have wanted to forget <clears throat> about the plans that God made for you that, you know what, I, I don't think I really want to do this today? Excuse me. So it says, early the next morning, Abram got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, so they've traveled for three days. On the third day, Abraham, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. First use of the word in the scripture. We will worship. And then we will come back to you. Let that sink in. In the Old Testament, the idea of worship was generally accompanied by sacrificing something and using it, it, it would be burned. They... they they burned and poured out all sorts of things in worship, but, but burning something was generally something that happened in the midst of worship. In Genesis 15, God, uh, he actually requests that animals be, thank you, <clears throat> be offered as a sacrifice. <clears throat> now God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, whom he loves and cherishes because it was a promise that was 30 years in the making. That is incredible. Now, Abraham didn't procrastinate. He got up early in the morning. Can you imagine him gathering wood for that? <clears throat> Every time he puts that piece of wood in his arm, he's, he's, he could have been grumbling and and mad at God, but he actually gets all of this together and then leaves. Undoubtedly, Abraham was thinking to himself, this is not exactly, God, what I th thought about uh, when I think of worshiping you. This is not what I had in mind. This is not what I was really looking for. This is outside my comfort zone. Some of you, when you, the first time you came to church and you saw people worshiping God, it was outside your comfort zone. You thought, man, I can't do this. I'm thinking Abraham thought the same thing. I, I don't know if I can do this. God, this is too hard for me. This is too challenging for me. I think we all have some misconceptions of worship, what worship is. I want to look at four of them this morning. The first one is this. <clears> the <throat> first misconception is it's not a thing to do. It's not a religious obligation. I'm glad that you showed up for church this morning. Um, I think God is glad that we show up for church. Um, but this act of showing up in church on a Sunday morning in and of itself is not worship. 
It's not a religious obligation. Uh, Marie, this morning, as she led worship, uh, she, there, there's, I mean, there's certain songs that we like more than others, and, and she was really enjoying worship this morning. Um, I just really noticed in the first service that, that you could tell that she was really deeply enjoying what she was doing, and you could see it all over her face. When it comes to worship and music, we call it the feels. It gives you all the feels, okay? The feels are not worship. The feels are simply our, the emotional part of our being connecting with what we're doing. I can get the feels about all sorts of stuff. Sometimes, in fact, in my life, the thing that God has used most often to really get a hold of me has been music, and it has been something that God will speak to me through, and I, I feel that, okay? But that in and of, the feels in and of itself, that is not worship. See, we can, we can, uh, we can be sincere. We can be passionate, okay? But those things are not, those are not worship either, because you can be incredibly sincere. You can be completely sincere. You can be extremely passionate. You can still be wrong and you can still be misguided. Do you see what I'm saying? That, that it's, not, it's not someone sincere. Oh, they are really sincere. Sincerity is not worship. Because we can be sincere about the wrong thing. Passion is not worship because we can be completely misguided. God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. There is a true way to worship God. And in this story, in Genesis 22, the true way that God was asking Abraham to worship him by was to sacrifice his son Isaac as a burnt offering. Worship is the act of obedience. God is looking for those who desire to obey him, who will put their trust in him and will desire to please him. Worship is the willingness to let go of the most important thing in our lives. And for Abraham, that thing was Isaac. And God said, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to worship me by giving him to me as a sacrifice. What if God asks us to give the number one most important thing in our lives to him as part of our worship? How do we respond? Worship is not about Something that we do, it's about something that we give. Misconception number two is that it's only for adults. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Reggie. And Reggie's a seven-year-old here at church. If you weren't here, um, Reggie was here. Um, uh, we were cleaning up after um, our, our backpack SOS um, event and... And um, 
I was here literally standing right here and Benjamin is, is uh, adjusting the lights and the sound and Reggie wanted me to sing and, and he kept prodding me, you know, and I didn't know what song was playing. There was music playing and I said finally to Benjamin, please put something on that I know. So I started to sing and Reggie, no, no, from in here. He wanted, he wanted me to sing from my heart. And, and so... I, I was really touched by that, and, and uh, I think it was, last, it was last week. In children's church, you know, this was a week after this conversation that Reggie and I had. In children's church, they sing, they worship. And the first worship song that Caitlin picked that Sunday was not the song that Reggie and I had been singing to the week before. And Reggie was mad. And he's telling the class, no, 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 from the heart. It needs to be the song that we sing from the heart. You know, I'm sure he's probably throwing me under the bus too and saying that it's, you know, that, that this is the one that Kevin said that we, you know. And so he was mad that first song. Now, I'm really glad that it only lasted one song. But he was mad, okay? Ask the worship team what, what they sang last week. Here's a seven-year-old, two weeks later, is mad because we're not doing a specific worship song from the heart. We think, we think it's just for adults. We think that it's, it's about us. I'm telling you what, when you don't want to talk about true worship, there's probably more true worship happening down in children's church than there is here in the sanctuary. In Matthew 19, Jesus, we see this conversation that takes place. Verses 13 and 14, it says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God or of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus is including children in that, uh, in that idea of worship. He's including them in the kingdom. The disciples believed that Jesus was too busy for kids. I think we're too busy. We're too busy maybe to include kids in worship. We're too busy to think that that's possible. In the Old Testament, we read about a, a boy named Samuel. Samuel uh, lived in the temple, and he was being raised by the priest uh, Eli, the, the high priest. And his, his I, I picture this not as a bed, but I picture it as a few blankets on the floor. He could actually see the Ark of the Covenant from, from where his bed was. And he heard, he, he got woke up, someone calling his name. So he went into Eli and, and kept saying, okay, Eli, what do you want? And Eli kept waking up saying, I'm, I'm not calling your name. And after three times, finally they realized that something is going on. We read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 10 and then verse 19. It says, then the Lord, because what Eli said was, you need to answer. Just stay there and answer the voice. And you speak to the, you, you let that voice speak to you. It says, then the Lord came and stood there, calling as the, at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. This is a boy. This is a child. 
that the scripture is writing about. And he is able to hear and discern the voice of the Lord speaking to him. And then it says the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. The picture there is of an archer that his arrows all hit the bullseye. God did that with Samuel's words, that the the words that Samuel spoke, when Samuel said, God says this, God made it happen. God made it a bullseye. And it all started when he was a child capable of hearing God's voice. Our kids can worship God. They can hear from God. In fact, We got a a video sent to us last Sunday of a child that was in church and when they got home and they were playing in their playroom at home, they were singing and worshiping to one of the songs that we had sung in worship last Sunday. Kids have the ability to worship. And I, I, I can... Uh, see no better reason why, as a body of Christ, that we need to encourage parents to bring their children to church because they can be discipled in their love for God and their worship of God. Misconception number three is that worship happens only in church. When I was 17, I'll never forget it. It, it was something that made a really significant impression in my life. We were on our way on vacation, and we used to go uh, to family camp at Spencer Lake for vacation when I was growing up. And um, so I was driving my car. It was a 71 Caprice Classic. It was a big boat, and the best part about it was it had a cassette in it. And so I was jamming out, probably not to what you think I was jamming out to, but I was listening to a, a, a cassette. That's how old I am. Somebody, somebody else told me they had the same. They had the same album, only they had the eight-track version. I'm like, man, you are old. Andre Crouch in the Disciples and the Disciples live in London. Okay, and I, I kid you not, I, I am worshiping and I am bawling like a baby. I'm all alone in the car, music playing loud, worshiping the Lord, and I am nowhere near church. The thing that really makes me laugh, okay, I, I get this picture in my mind that I'm actually driving through, uh, and I know I, I did drive through this town, but it's, it's a little tiny town in the middle of Wisconsin, and I had to drive through that town to get to where I was going. And my brother got pulled over and put in jail in that same town. And I'm worshiping God as I drive through that town. That to me is just a, there's something that's, that's really a weird picture for me. But, but I was nowhere near church and yet I'm worshiping the Lord. And, and here 40 years later, I'm old, 40 years later, I still remember that experience. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6, he said, when you pray, he said, go into your room. When, you, when you're worshiping the Lord, go into your room. The, the, the uh, NIV, or the, excuse me, the King James says closet. 
my mother took that for granted. My mother actually opened her closet door. There were no walk-in closets back then, okay? At least not in my neighborhood. And she climbed in her closet, which had no room in it. She climbed in there, closed the door to pray. She took it that seriously. There is, there is time when we need to be alone, where we need to go to, to, to be alone. God is not limited to a location. It's not just in church that we can spend time worshiping together. What does Matthew 18 say? Where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. God can be with us. It doesn't have to be in church. God can be with us anywhere. We say, well, you know, we come to church. That's, a, that, you know, that's our time of worship. I want you to think about that. How much are you really in church? See, back in the 70s, we had, we had this thing down in the 70s, all right? Because I was in Sunday school, and then I was in church, and then whether I was a kid growing up in church or I got old enough to be in it, I was at choir practice at five and then Sunday night service. And then we always had a long drawn out altar time on Sunday nights. I was in church all day Sunday. And then we came back on Wednesday nights. And my folks, I, they had keys because we were there all the time. You name it, we were there. But here in our culture today, we're in church for an hour on Sunday. And you say, well, that's, you know, that's pretty good. There's 52 weeks a year. Look at, think, think about it in those terms. 8,760 hours, okay, um, in a year. And there's 52 Sundays, and we spend an hour in church. The problem is that most people don't go to church every Sunday. In fact, I would say very, very few go to church every Sunday. The national average is three out of eight Sundays. So now we're talking 19 and a half hours a week, that, or, or a year that we would be in church. So the amount that we're in church, so our worship better not be limited to being in church. Because there's no way that we would say, well, that's, that's what, what worship should really consist of in my life. Paul says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in us and that we, literally, we, we can walk around with His Spirit in us all the time. We can worship anytime, anywhere. Misconception number four is that worship is only a solitary experience. I'm going to opposite ends of the spectrum. See, some people want to worship only when they're in church, and others want to worship just, they just want to be alone, period. And it's, it's not one or the other. It's both. Some people say, you know, I, I, I don't want to come to church. I, I, I meet people in the strangest places at the strangest times. And it's so funny because I, I haven't seen them for a while. And they will, I mean, it's like they feel obligated to tell me why they don't come to church. 
And, and I, I didn't come up to them, you know, to, I just wave at them and then you stop and you talk for a second and, well, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I haven't been in church because, and they tell me why they're not in church. And it's amazing to me. One of my favorite excuses for not being in church is that I really love to worship in nature. That's code for I want to hunt and fish on Sundays. Isaiah talks about this throne room of God thing that's happening in Isaiah 6 says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. He says that literally the doorposts and the thresholds shook, that the, 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 the temple of God in heaven was filled with smoke. Does that sound like church to you? That sounds like a rock concert to me. And I'm like, yes, let's do that. That sounds really good. That's in the very presence of God. Look at Revelation, what it says in verses, uh, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Worship in heaven is a group activity. It's a group activity. When we worship together as believers in God's house, it is a group activity. One of the, one of the challenges with the growth of Christian music is that Sunday morning can be looked at as a performance. It is not a performance. They are worship leaders. They are not worship experts. Yes, you have to have a certain skill to be able to sit at the piano or the guitar or to play drums or whatever, but that's not what it's all about. It is to lead us corporately in worship. It's not for them to perform worship so that we can appreciate it. That's not what worship is. Worship is something for us to participate in together as a church, as the body of Christ. Nowhere in Scripture that I see is worship, it's not said to be exclusively a solitary activity. But yet we read that Jesus, Mark 1.35, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That should be part of our experience. Get alone with God and worship him. It's part of what we should do. But not to the exclusion of gathering together as the body of Christ. Jesus spent 30 days in the wilderness, fasting, being tempted. But then he also often went to the temple and the synagogue. We need to resist the urge to isolate ourselves when it comes to our worship of God. We need to do so alone, but also together as part of the body of Christ. The writer of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 said there's a problem with this. He said, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We were made to worship together and we were made to worship alone. Both can be powerful experiences that the other cannot duplicate. I'm really thankful that God did not allow Abraham to continue on with the sacrifice of Isaac. I envision the the knife being held high above Abraham's head as he's ready to, to plunge it down and kill his son that was promised to him by God 30 years earlier. I'm glad that God stopped Abraham from doing that. Colleen Cho, uh, an, office, uh, an author, said, for Abraham, wasn't, or for Abraham, worship wasn't an emotionally charged song or spiritual head knowledge. It was an act of faith that put everything on the line because of who he believed God to be. Worship is an act of obedience. It's a willingness to let go of the most important thing in your life. And Abraham viewed the sacrifice of his son. He viewed obedience to God, telling him to do that, as worship. And we would look at that and say, are you kidding me? How is that even possible? How could could I do something like that? How could Abraham believe that that following through on that would somehow be characterized as worship? Well, I think Abraham believed something that I don't know that we're connected with. And Hebrews talks about it in chapter 11, verse 19. It said, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So when Abraham said, to his servants, you stay here. Isaac and I are going to go over there and we're going to worship, knowing that worship meant sacrifice. And then what did he say? And then we will come back to you. Abraham believed that God could raise the dead, even if that's what was required. So as he worshiped God, all he had to do is what God asked of him. And so my question for you today is this. If God is asking for you and for me to worship him with that number one most important thing in our lives, are we willing? Are we willing to trust him? Maybe it's something that is so special to you that you, it's like that promise that God made to Abraham. You've been holding on to it for all these years, believing that that this is from God. And you think, I could never sacrifice that up. I could never give it up to God because it's so precious to me. Do you believe that even, even that, that you could trust it with him and that you could worship with that, that he literally has the ability to bring the dead to life. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I believe that through your word, the Holy Spirit challenges us as worshipers to worship you with spirit and in truth. And that this morning through the life of Abraham, that we are being challenged particularly to give up that that one thing that is so important to us 
that above everything else, we don't want to lose that thing in our lives. And Father, for every person in this room, that thing could be different. Even in trying to think about what that could be, it may even be a challenge to do so. But I believe that you are calling us as your people to worship you with the most important priorities of our lives. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us. I pray that we would be challenged to hold nothing back and to believe with such faith as did Abraham that even if we give that, even if we lay it on the altar, even if we sacrifice it in worship to you, that we believe that you will raise the dead and it will come back to life better than it ever would have been. Father, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name.